I am unashamed. What about you? So here we are, unashamed, <laughs> coming to you from another location. Actually, two, two locations. You'll notice that uh, PR, the Duck Commander, is not with us today. We are we are embroiled in a, let's see, what the, the Weather Channel called it a hostile winter invasion. That's what was on the <laughs> hostile winter invasion. And that's kind of what it feels like. For, I mean, Jay's and I are looking out the window here at about, I don't know how many inches of snow and ice, but I mean, we've been locked down a week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the funniest thing I heard about this, uh, which was a little crude from one of my redneck friends, he was like, this is what happens when you cancel Mardi Gras. <laughs> Hell literally freezes <laughs> over. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> well, blame it on Mardi Gras. Uh, yeah. You cast a Mardi Gras, hell freezes over. Well, we have frozen over. Of course, we can't even, Dad's so far out there, like, and there's, we had a huge ice thing, so now there's trees across the road. So I don't know when we're going to see Phil again. He's going to have to cut his way out. And Zach, now, what's it like? You're in the, balmy north carolina what's what's going on in black mountain yeah it's about probably 45 degrees here so we're we're not we don't have quite the winter storm you guys got I, yeah but i hear it's terrible it really is i mean obviously texas is yeah a lot worse off than us because we kept our power the whole time you know, people is, have lost their lives and i mean i was hearing today Hey, knock it off in there. I have guard dogs that will occasionally go off. Yeah. I've trained these dogs, so I like them barking, but I'm just... Yeah, if we're attacked by a mouse, <laughs> these things are ferocious. I, I mean, they're, they're like this dog. I was like, you know, I, I, in fact, when I walk into this house, I have to be careful because one wrong step and Jace loses an attack dog. I mean, they're literally the size of my foot. They're not for protection. They're alarms. They, <laughs> so yeah, you know. Yeah, they're out there now. A dog came by and they let me know. So, I, I mean, I what do they that. weigh? Are they about a pound? Pound a piece? I would say one of them weighs about three pounds, and the other one weighs about five pounds. Of course, if you cut, give them a haircut, it those weights get cut in half. Because yeah. they're mainly just fur. They're fur balls. They're very fluffy. But they're tenacious. I've trained them to be the first line of defense is like intruder. So, you, so why do you have three? Because you had the one. Well, and, I had, I had and then you one. inherited one from uh, Missy's grandmother that passed away. Yeah, that was that was her grandma being kind of funny, I think, because <laughs> Missy doesn't like dogs <laughs> in general. And so... Her grandma left her her dog without her knowing it until she died. And she was like, oh, grandma left you the dog. So I, I said, I think she was trying to teach you something. You need to That's tap right. into that. And actually, Missy's done quite well, but they mainly hang out with me. So, well, Who's the third dog? Well, then I got Biggin. Oh, my, Biggin. Okay. my lab. He's, yeah. he's in the garage. If we hear him bark, we'll have to, I'll have to stop and you're gone without me so i was i was i was checking my twitter feed um i guess it's two days ago and missy's missy had tweeted out so she's showing a video right here in front of their house oh yeah i thought you were gonna bring that and up. then jace is racing was it big one here's what happened let me tell you the story <laughs> rednecks I, don't run on ice i'm telling you the the dog that missy inherited was scared. It's generally scared of anything. It, it sits there and shakes. And I'm trying to toughen him up. He's a male dog. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> well, when the ice hit, he had never seen ice. So he wouldn't go out on the ice. But that's a problem because at some point, when you got to relieve yourself, mm -hmm. there's only two options. My house or the ice. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to get him to come out on the ice. So I was running saying, hey, we're running, we're racing, we're racing. So then I, I was like, let me just get biggin. We'll do a race that he won't be able to stand that. So we took off running, and I had forgotten that my neighbors had been riding four-wheelers up and down the road. So when I hit one of their ruts, I, I went from snow to ice, <laughs> and it actually happened in my slow day. But in two seconds, the back of my head was... <laughs> 
And so I looked up and Miss is like, oh, nobody saw. I didn't know she was from. <laughs> I <had> no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I saw it on Twitter. So along with a lot of other people, I'm sure. Yeah, so be sure and check that out on Missy's social media. And uh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's so a loving wife. Back- that's a loving yeah, wife. Exactly. I said, that's oh, a yeah, loving exactly. wife. That's exactly right. Get it out there for the world to enjoy. So we kind of got a, in this case, a compound living has been a success because like my, both my kids live right next to me. And so we basically just been doing progressive meals, you know, different each other's houses the whole time. We had fun with it. And then we get outside and play in the snow. Now we're doing the podcast from Jace's house because he's right here yeah. nearby. So we're making the most of the compound living. It's yeah. looking pretty good for us. I actually have four teenagers here because Missy came to see me from Austin. Oh, and got stuck. And, and got stuck with, with Mia and three of her friends. So uh, we had a little cabin fever going on. <laughs> I kind of chewed out the teenagers last night. They were being a little loud at 1230. And I was like, hey, knock it off. And so I, I think I scared them. <laughs> But overall, it's been good. We had a come to Jesus meeting one night. I, I sat down and we talked about, I mean, because who knows? I thought maybe the Lord arranged this encounter. <laughs> so I preached Jesus to him. It was kind of a crickets. I did most of the talking. I asked questions. It was just crickets. <laughs> so look, it's hard to reach teenagers. That's the bottom line. But I think overall it's been good. I mean, Missy and I, we got into one big, huge argument over, uh, she she turned, she was trying to turn the hot water on and let it trickle. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, this way, if the electricity goes off, we'll have hot water. And I was like, what? <laughs> we have tankless uh, hot water heaters, yeah, yeah. which look, originally when we got them, they said they run off gas. I, I said, yes, we'll pay the extra whatever, because I thought we would have hot water when electricity goes off. But I come to find out they they still, they're ignited oh, no. through electricity. Ah. So that's what we, we got into this huge argument. And uh, I eventually had to call somebody to sell the argument. Turns out I was right. But she was right on the little gas you know these little gas lit heaters mm-hmm. that you have. So she turns them on. Well, it gets too hot. Well, I can't sleep. Yeah. You know, but you don't want to say, "Oh, I'm too hot" when it's a winter storm going out. <laughs> so I spent one night on the couch just simply because it was just too hot. But I tell you all this to say, really, we got into this argument. Missy had an interesting thought. She was like, "You know, hell would be a lot more of a deterrent if it was freezing." <laughs> Because she would rather be hot, you know, warm than cold. It's like we, we've avoided being cold at all costs here. So I've had a fire going for like four days, yeah. nonstop. So, so we're back full circle to hell freezing over. For Missy, it's a yeah. frozen wasteland. So I want to mention uh, too, Zach, um, yet when we're recording this, uh, Russ Limbaugh passed away yesterday. And I don't know if you were like me, Zach, because you're a little bit younger, but like Rush had a huge impact on me just in terms of political, being being a conservative, listening to his, his talk radio back in the 80s and early 90s. So I just wanted to mention it today. I'm sure a lot of our listeners felt the same way that Rush was such an icon. You know, it's just one thing I regret. We've gotten to meet a lot of neat people. I wish I could have met. Russ Limbaugh before he passed away, but he was a, he was a huge impact on me, and I'm sure he was for you too, Jose. Yeah, I listened to Rush uh, every day for probably about seven or eight years. You know, um, when I was in college and up until the early part of my career, you know, he he paved the way for a lot of even what we're doing now. I mean, that before before Rush, there really wasn't an avenue for any um, content that didn't fit into kind of the mainstream thought process and. Uh, but you know he he went on AM radio because it was uh, it was kind of the wild west and opened opened the door up for really uh, conservative thinkers and uh, yeah he was a, he was a great thinker you know he really was and um, I think it, I think it was a big loss for you know the conservative movement for sure. <laughs> I heard yeah I've been hearing a lot of tributes but a lot of people now that are big in radio or podcasting. Um, the, the thing about it is they say just what you said that, you know, the best thing about a, a person who's a trailblazer is, you know, they have a major impact when there's so many behind them that are now doing what he was the only one doing. 
you know, 30 plus years ago. So I think it's interesting and you're right. I think we even, you know, Blaze TV and everything we're doing uh, and others like us, I think, whoa. We just had a bird, kamikaze style, <laughs> into the window. Said, "I need heat now." Oh, what? There, what is this clear obstruction? <laughs> it hit his head, flipped around like twice. He, he he's kind of addled now. He's out on a tree limb. And I he think he's flew getting... flew off again. And the dogs came and come. They came under the tree and were gathering like buzzards. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think this, there's no telling what's going to happen today. So we're just saying, unashamed nation, be ready because there may be dogs, teens, birds, and other strange things that happen while we're talking. So, but anyway, yeah. So rest in peace for Rush. Uh, grateful for what he did. And he's, I do want to, yeah. And I do want to mention those those people in Texas having a tough time because I mean, to us, we didn't get. I mean, it's been you know, a few uncomfortable moments, but I mean, there's really a lot of people out there suffering and you never like to see people suffer. You know, I have heard anything from a bull and snow yeah. for water. And uh, so our hearts and prayers should go out to get yeah. free. It's been tough. I mean, there's been loss of life uh, as well. And so, yeah, we definitely are thinking about you guys and hopefully will be thawing out here before too long. You know? Well, yeah. And it just, it goes back to the point. Look, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's people, you know, rioting in the streets over political issues or simply the weather, it reminds us that we're perishable. And so what we talk about on, on here, I mean, we, we believe this stuff. We, we believe that we're indestructible because of God's power. And no matter what happens, we have that in our mind that gives us peace. And uh, I think it's an appeal you know, to people. I mean, if my house floods, guess what? Okay, I'm going right. to deal with it. You know, if I slip on the ice, because I saw the first, even after our little moment that we had out here that was funny, me running wide open and, you know, busting it. When I got back inside, I turned on my computer and it was a news alert. It was like the first death in Louisiana was a man from Lafayette who fell, who was my age, who fell on the ice and hit his head. Yeah. And I thought. Which you did too. Yeah, I could have just died here. Right. But we were kind of cackling about it. <laughs> but why is it that you laugh when somebody gets hurt initially? I mean, then uh, you know, it's hard to even wait. You got to make sure they're okay. But I mean, it's why is it funny when other people fall? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I remember Phil. We were one year. <laughs> we, I think we shared this story. We were hunting or going hunting, and someone had put a board up because the water was high to the boathouse where our boats were parked, and but it was a two-by-four, yeah. and it had had ice on it. And so we were trying to carry something. I can't remember what it was that was heavy. It was like, we were all standing there like, we need a, we need a wider board. I'm not walking on a two-by-four over water that's icy. And Phil said, let me show you how to do that. And he grabbed whatever it was. He took one step and literally his feet went where his head was in two seconds. And it's probably the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. And But I have to admit, you know, my dad, now wet, was on his knees and he started laughing. Well, right. We just all laughed. Well, that's why you got to laugh and make it okay for everybody else to laugh. That's what you you can't just get all offended because you you know just start laughing at yourself. Yeah. And then we can all have a big laugh about it. And then someone said, I think it was Guy when he said, "Are you okay?" And Phil <laughs> said, "I don't know." And then we laughed. <laughs> it was it's pretty funny. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. So, Jace, have you ever, do women go bald? I mean, I know men go bald. Have you ever seen a bald head of woman? I mean, that you know, there's, I know your hair can fall out from like yeah. treatments and stuff, but not that I can recollect. That would be interesting if they do, if they could, if it, if it went both ways. I guess it has something to do with genetics. I'm not sure. Somebody will let me know how all that works. I know it's through some kind of male pattern baldness happens. So, one of our long standing sponsors is a company called Keeps. K-E-E-P-S, Keeps, because they want you to keep your hair. So you go to Keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash door 
and you're going to get 50% off your first order of your hair loss treatment. So it's a great way to get started. They're going to give you half off. It's keeps.com slash door and keep some of your hair. So we, um, anyway, we're, we're surviving is what we're saying. Yeah. So we're, we're in Acts chapter six uh, and seven is where we are in our textual study. And so without Phil, we're going to plow forward. Uh, we'll miss his insights, but we got Zach, we got the, the brain. So uh, I'm sure he's got a few things for us. But, uh, you know, we left off, we had talked about this persecution that's been going on. The early church is sort of now, you know, it's kind of, <clears throat> it's kind of on a roll. I mean, it's formed, it's, it's formed what it's formed. It's, it's impacting people daily. The apostles are still doing great things. Basically, the leadership can't stop them. You know, they've told them, what, twice to quit preaching? Yeah. And they're just like, you know. Which goes to my point about having the power of the Spirit and the resurrection, the resurrected Lord at your service headquartered in heaven because they're literally not paying any attentions to threats on their life. Because right. they're like, quit speaking about Jesus or we'll put you in jail. Okay, guess what? Prison break, we're back to speaking about Jesus. Angels are letting them out of jail. <laughs> yeah, so which is a reminder that this is truly the acts of God through people. He works in our lives on a daily basis. And my question is, when did he stop doing that? He hasn't. He hadn't. So, so what happens in, in Acts 6, verse 1, I think it's really interesting because uh, and being a pastor and spending a lot of time with, with uh, you know, believers and brothers and sisters, this, in, this is the first recorded complaint. And it only took us, what, you know, four chapters to get there. But verse 1 says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so things are growing, things are doing what, great. Verse 1, where are you at? Uh, Acts 6. So five chapters, yeah. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So there's that first, the first time you see the word complain. And being a pastor, it's interesting because the hardest part about leading a church or being a part of a you know full-time ministry is complaining. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, I, that was the, now that I'm not, I'm preaching, but I'm not necessarily pastoring a church and being there and doing all the things I did before. The biggest freedom is not hearing complaints. And, and I mean, I, I hate to say it like that, but it's just true. And of course, an American church will complain about anything. Well, I came here today mm -hmm. and my parking spot, I came here today and the heat's not turned on over in the room. And it's just constant, you know, and you're, you're kind of trying to gear up to, you know, really share the word of God and try to be the messenger of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you just start dealing with that. So, yeah. so I kind of get the idea here when this happens, because what happened, and this is a legitimate thing is I believe this is, Zach, this is kind of the dividing line that you see in the early church. Because first they're all Jews, but then these, these Grecian Jews are basically Hellenistic Jews, and they've been converted in as Greeks. Well, they were always kind of seen as second citizens because they were Greeks and they weren't, you know, born Jews. And so that becomes a problem, and it's really a problem throughout the whole first century church, I think. Well, it's a problem today, too. You think about, you know, just yeah. cultural differences, racial differences. Um, you know, that are still happening in the church. I mean, so I, I mean, this is interesting though, that you have two groups of people from two different uh, cultures and there, there's kind of this cultural clash happening in the New Testament church where you have uh, widows of a certain group are being overlooked by the distributors from the second group. And um, I think that still goes, that, that it's very relevant for what's going on now. You know, I was reading in Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 2 the, uh, this week with my kids just about, uh, one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God is that you you do have these different cultures that can come together and find reconciliation through the cross. Um, it's not perfect. It's a dirty business. It's messy. Uh, we're never going to fully get there on this side of heaven, but we can. But we can continue to strive to find real, authentic community um, through the gospel. But I think it's cool here how yeah that was how the first uh, kind of church uh, uh, structure came to be was in this in this moment right here you know yeah and really it's about selfishness and unselfishness I, th I think in any movement it's easier when it's small that's why i think small groups are so effective 
and you have intimacy, you can talk about people's lives, but the more growth that happens and the more people you're reaching, well, you now you have the more possibility of people being selfish and they start complaining. And I think that's why Paul uh, reminded the Philippians, because I think this same problem happened. You know, in chapter two, where he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider yourselves uh, consider others other better, yeah, better than yourselves. And then he gives this awesome picture of the humility of Jesus. He was right. being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You know, and it eventually goes, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. But then after that, he, he has this, which my mom used to quote this to me every day for like three years. I think it was more than three. Well, she zeroed in on arguing, but to Al's point and the point in Acts 6, because we the widows were being overlooked, and you, you know, you have you, what's happening is you're reaching people, you're helping people, you're finding people who are in need, and we don't have enough servants. We got too many chiefs saying, hey, let's win the world, let's win the world, and there's not enough servants helping people. And in 14 of Philippians 2, he says, do everything without, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God uh, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars, which is a beautiful thought in the universe Mm -hmm. as you hold out the word of life, which is Jesus. He is the word, the word became flesh that he just said in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So it's kind of a, I think it's the same situation. It's the same problem that's going to happen as generations it's a, go on. It's a great point, and it's one of my favorite texts. You know, it's that text in the whole Bible. And the reason why is because any relationships that you have, whether it's husband and wife, you know, father to your kids, you know, mother to your kids, your sisters, your brothers, people in the church, that passage has great application because if you live that way, where you you really lived with a servant mindset, you would always have a better relationship. There's just no way it couldn't be better. Uh, it, it is, but but you, it's just hard. It's it's easy to read. It's hard to yeah. put in yeah. your life. I mean, when I had to come to Jesus meeting with the teenagers, I felt a little bad because I came down hard on them. But it was late at night. They were being loud. Missy was asleep. I mean, I'm like, this is my house. I protect my wife. And she she has sleep in the top three of important <laughs> things in life. And I hate to say, I think it's a barely above me, but it's close. <laughs> Don't mess with her sleep. Don't mess with sleep. And so they were being loud. And so I came in there and said, hey, you know, knock it off. But they they were kind of laughing. They didn't realize that I was I was saying, shut it down. <laughs> and so I said, hey, this is rude the the woman of the house is 20 feet away trying to get some sleep and you're you know y'all are being too loud you'll wake her up one of the kids they were like oh sorry i forgot and i i should have just said okay and went on this was probably my mistake but i said well for you have to have forgotten that means you would have at some point considered somebody else (laughs) so i don't believe it (laughs) That's I probably went too far with that line of reasoning. <laughs> but look, at one time we were all teenagers and you're you're not thinking of other people is my point. I mean, you've lost track of time. I get it, we're in an ice storm and so it's just hard to do. You had a moment. You had a yeah. moment that you were trying to start. Yeah, I think the uh that humility it goes a long way. I mean, in the context of Act Six, you know, um you I mean, you've got two different groups of people. You've got the the Hellenistic Jews that spoke Greek on one side, and then you got the the Hebrew Jews that, that, that did not speak Greek. And and this cultural difference, uh, it's easy to kind of get selfish and kind of into your protection. But we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I mean, it, it's it doesn't it trend this transcends all cultures where you want to you want to hang on to whatever your cultural preference is. And, and that's, that's a form of selfishness. It, and it's hard to give that up because it's comfortable. It's what you know. It's what you're familiar with. But in the kingdom of God, um, there's just not really a place for that. That's why we keep talking about this idea. This whole thing, is, as we move into Acts 6 at the end of it and Acts 7, it, it's, again, it's always about the kingdom of God. That's where our allegiance lies. Um, and so it's, I, I, but it's also cool to see that, that 
in the first century that that they didn't have this right either, and they were really close to they had apostles and all that, and they were and they were they weren't doing a great job either. So it does gives me hope of these the grace we can live under, you know. Yeah, it's a great point, Zach. Let's take a, let's take another break. So, Jace, we talk about it quite a bit. There, there seems to be a pretty good divide on social media. You know, I guess maybe the internet in general, uh, in terms of thought, conservative versus liberal, and you know, conservative people are saying they're censoring us, they're doing all these different things. And I'm not sure to what degree all this is true. That they claim it's usually just a happy accident, but who knows? It feels like that there's a lot of people trying to kind of suppress thought these days. And so yeah. one of the one of the companies that um, that supports our show is called Express VPN, and basically they help you with every device you have: phone, laptop, TV, whatever it is, to be able to protect it from people getting your data. I guess what's so frustrating, especially if you're conservative, is you feel like they're kind of working against you, but they love to get your data because that way they can make money off of you. So ExpressVPN is a way to block that out and give you a, a secure connection. So uh, what you do is, if you don't want to keep handing over your data to the big tech companies, you defend your rights by doing this. Go to expressvpn.com slash unashamed. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash unashamed. They're going to give you the first three months for free. So check it out if you want to learn more about protecting uh, all of your data. I think the point is, though, you're never in a problem-free zone. I mean, it's like marriage or parenting or in the church. Look, God gives us the resources, you know, especially with through His Spirit and, and the armor of God, where you deal with problems and you move on. I mean, they got together, they had some people, let's wait on the tables, let's help the widows, and, and, but let's also keep sharing Jesus. And you'll notice when it gets down to verse 7, it says, so the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was just something, I think when you have something that's hard and you have bumps in the road, those are character-making events. And if you keep the, the big prize at the forefront of your mind, which is getting Jesus out to the world, then you see what happens next, which is then they're attacked, not from within, but from the outside, right. from other religious <clears throat> Which people. I think that's the whole point, because they had some, you know, some tension going on inside, and they said, what can we do to fix this? Because we don't want this to take away from us continuing to reach people. And I think at a practical level, for those of you out there, and a lot of, a lot of you don't, are you had a church family or committed to that. <clears throat> I think a great practical lesson towards guys like me is that you want to let your, the people that are gifted and talented, especially to be able to proclaim the word of God, get, you know, they're just good at getting it to people, which obviously Stephen, the guy we're fixing to focus in on, he had way more gifts than just waiting on those tables too. He just needed an opportunity to be able to exercise it. He's going to do it in a big way. It has a huge impact. So you wanted them to be able to do that. It's not that the tables are not important and taking care of the widows is not important. But in this case, the disciples said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. <clears throat> and I think we just have to accept that, that the gospel going out is the most important thing and impacting mm -hmm. people's lives. And we have to keep that ranked at the top. Sometimes we get in a situation where we're in the church and all of a sudden we, we do start looking at ourselves. Well, you know, nobody visited me, you know, and I, well, well, this happened and I didn't get some food at the social. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden you mm -hmm. become a reason why the gospel is not being charged out of wherever you are. So just or, don't be that person. Or the meetings that <laughs> is happening in leadership is all concentrated on tables, chairs, and social events, right. and, and the arguments are occurring, and you look up, and, and there's nothing happening as far as the declaration of Jesus. Yeah. It well, becomes an inward thing. You don't ever want this to become club-like. This, this is a mission. That's that's the idea. Yeah, and this is the text that, one of the texts we would use as as Christians to say that, that there is a role for a full-time pastor uh, you know, minister role that's dedicated to teaching and studying the word and prayer, that his full-time vocation is to minister to the church in terms from, from a 
standpoint of we're going to, I'm going to teach the church uh, what the you know, doctrines, what the, what the Bible, I'm, I, they're, they're going to be one of those people in the church and, and it can be paid for that. Uh, I was thinking about First Timothy 5, uh, talks about uh, setting up elders and some of them are, are uh, worthy of double honor, meaning that you know, they, they're, they're paid elders. They get paid to be an elder or to be a pastor, yeah. a shepherd. Um, um, there's uh, also other verses in Ephesians 4 about some people have you know, different roles in the church. And so, you know, I do think while we talk a whole lot about deconsolidation in the church on this podcast, we talk a whole lot about the deconsolidation of power and getting out of the building. I mean, there is a biblical precedent and role for someone to be paid to be a full-time, like, I'm here to preach the Word of God. Yeah, that, there is a sure. role for that in Scripture, and I think this is the text you'd use for that. I agree, but I also think that the two things that really combine us that we've been talking about today, one is the humility, because when you have someone that's being prideful, it, it just becomes you know, a challenge. And the second thing is that looking at the overall picture that we all come together with our different gifts and roles to lift up Jesus to the world. And so sometimes you have to sacrifice, you know, how many tables we're going to put out or some big mm -hmm. argument over something silly over the greater need, which is declaring Jesus to the world. Well, <clears throat> so the solution for the disciples, what they did was they said, look, we, we want to get some folks from our number here. They're, they're full of wisdom and the spirit and they're, they're good guys. And we're going to turn this over to them. And so they came up with seven guys. <clears throat> and for Stephen is the first one mentioned in verse five. And he even gets a description. So, you know, he has some real gifts because, because Luke said, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So mm -hmm. he kind of stood apart. This guy's got potential. He's going to do something big. I mean, that's basically what we're learning, and we're fixing to see what he did. And then you have Philip, who also we see, read about him in Acts chapter 8. Uh, he he was pretty amazing and had gifts as well. And then there's these other guys, which we don't read about them later. It doesn't mean they're not important. But I did want to mention the last guy, because this goes to Zach's point earlier, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So this guy, so the wisdom was they picked, since they were having this issue about the Hebrew, Hebraic Jews weren't necessarily taking care of the Grecian Jews, they appoint one of the seven from the Grecian community, which made perfect sense. So now you got one of the seven that he's from the group that has really kind of been neglected through this process. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that for decisions we make going forward. You know that that group is going to be fair-minded now because they have one of their own number in there. So I just think it makes sense. Kind of, Zach, what you were talking about, the difference between race and everything else. We are to be able to look like, you know, our culture, even in churches and in the kingdom of God, because we're all in this together. I've always said in Jesus is the ultimate place where equality occurs. I mean, you look around our world and the people are like, if we can just come together, promote unity in Jesus is the ultimate place because right. you recognize one that we're all made in the image of God. Yeah. Jesus died for everyone. We all make mistakes and we come together, male or female, social class, ethnicity under the banner of disciples of Jesus, sons of God, however you want to phrase it, possessors of the Holy spirit. So it teaches you that we're, we're all just human. So Zach, I got a question for you. <clears throat> Jace made me think of this. So we we use we think of the word equality, and it's one that is very meaningful to us because you know we believe, as Jay said, we are all equal in Christ. As Americans, we believe we were created by God equal because that's what our original documents tell us. So I've noticed since the Biden administration has come in, the word equality is now replaced with the word equity. If you notice this, like everything I'm reading now coming out of the Biden administration is we're for racial equity. So, so, so what do they mean? What do they mean by that? Because I, I know you, you know, study these things and know more than I do. So wh why that transition? What what are they talking about and what's their ultimate goal? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a nuanced discussion. I mean, I've, I've, I've read a lot of, of I try to. Well, first of all. When I get into a subject like this or any controversial subject, I, I try to find the best of both sides of an argument. And I want to read everybody. I want to know what the best yeah. has to say and so that I have an accurate representation. Um, yeah, a lot of language that's being used right now, equity is more kind of an economic term. You know, if you think about it, um, it's, it's a, I mean, 
you trade equities, which means stocks or equity and, and a business is it's, it's about money and it's about, yeah, um, yeah. it's about wealth and redistribution of wealth. And, um, so yeah, I think that what, what their argument would be is that there is, um, there's this systemic racism that's occurred and, and it's deeply embedded in our culture and that it is our job to make that right. Um, you know, the problem, I, and even in the church, I mean, this is, I mean, uh, John MacArthur and some of those guys have said this is going to be uh, Bodie Bauckham, uh, uh, who's another guy who's uh, got a book coming out called um, Fault Lines. Uh, I just got an advanced computer's copy on that. Uh, he talks about this movement a lot. Um, and by the way, let's pray for Bodie, Bodie as well. He's got, I think he has uh, some kind of heart disease or something. And um, there, he came back from Africa. And so he's, I don't know what else going on with him. Um, the guys from Just Thinking podcast that we had on the show as well, but um, yeah, I think what what's going on here is uh, very common. Uh, that these guys are saying this may be one of the biggest issues the church faces as well. There's a big debate inside the church too. This isn't just like in you know politics. This is a debate in the church and what brings us together. Should we recognize? Like, should we recognize? Go ahead. Take a break. Uh, should you know should uh should we recognize race or should we not and it's i mean there's a lot of of people that are hurt angry on all sides of this issue um and and i you know i try to stay out of some of the more um emotionally charged language because when you get into politics man it becomes more of a of, of a football you can kick around and what i think is most important is to consider as our role in the church how do we speak into that how do we speak into yeah. the racial divide, which is really not just a racial divide. It's a cultural divide as well. I do think that the Bible gives us a picture of a very diverse church in the first century. Um, I, I mentioned Ephesians 2. Let me read this to you, uh, kind of going to Jace's point. Uh, this is Ephesians 2, verse um, verse uh, 13. It says, um, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus for he himself is our peace who made us both talking about two different cultures here, both one. So he's made two different cultures in the, in the, in the new Testament church one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And this is how you think there's a dividing wall of hostility in our culture today. Yeah. Even in the church, but how did Jesus break it down? He did it. Verse 15, Ephesians two, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He's talking about racial and cultural differences here and in, in becoming one. So uh, making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. And this is how he does it. He does it through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And the way that he does that is is it, when we really come to the cross of Calvary and we come before a living God, nobody really has anything to offer at that place, right? And so we're all in that moment when we come to the cross of Calvary where our own sin is highlighted. We recognize our own depravity. We recognize the fact that how far we are from, from, his, from his holiness. And that puts me in a posture of humility that really no matter what, what somebody, where they came from, what their differences is, even their current sin struggles. I don't have a, I don't have a claim to righteousness. I don't have a claim to justice, you know, based on what I've done because I'm guilty too. It puts me in a place of humility. Yeah, I love it. Well, you remember in first Corinthians 12, I mean, here's the church at Corinth, which they had been given a lot of gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, with healings and, and speaking in tongues and all this and which had caused a lot of problems because they were more focused on the gifts rather than faith, hope, and love. And, you know, eventually the most embarrassing charge ever is Paul had to remind them of the gospel, you know, in chapter 15. And just think how embarrassing that is, <laughs> what, what God did through Jesus. But to go along with what we're saying, and I think they're, they had some division among them or he wouldn't have addressed this and, and selfishness. Remember, because oh, their big yeah. issues was all that, you know, they're, they're not right. looking out for each other. They're just, when the Lord's Supper's going on, you get out of here. I'm drinking my yeah. stuff. I'm doing my stuff. So in first Corinthians 12, at the end of it, 
he made this point that what you made earlier, Zach, the body of Christ, everyone has a part of it, and God has appointed, first of all, apostles, which were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. He had mentioned that in chapter 9 and verse 1. You know, prophets, and then he goes through these these gifts of the Holy Spirit. But then he got down to 29. He said, are all apostles, are all prophets? I mean, the understood answer is no. We ha There are different people that God has set up. But even what led to that section was in, in verse 12, he said, the body is a unit and it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And then he gets into wherever you're from, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. And that's why I said, ultimately, in Jesus is where true equality happens. I mean, or he wouldn't be mentioning this. Yeah, that's good. You know? Yeah, it's a great point. And yeah. I, I do think, Zach, that it applies th this idea, because that, that is, you you hit it, y'all hit it. It's the, the dividing line for the New Testament church. and it, But it's been like, it's it's always the dividing line between some culture, some race, some division. And, and I think the, the the answer is simple. I mean, our enemy is, is an enemy of division. That's what he does. The more he can divide people and get them isolated, the more you can, they become bitter. They become, they look at their own sinfulness and it overwhelms them. And they, you know, they don't, if they don't look for something bigger than themselves, they destroy each other. Well, it puts, us, exactly it puts us in a, in a difficult position in the church because um, particularly like uh, in a, where we're, the per perspective we're coming from, because we, we're kind of going to make everybody mad. You know, we're going to make kind of we're going to make the, the nationalists mad because we're going to say not nah, sorry, but, you know, our hope is not in that kingdom. And so our hope is in another kingdom. And so then the, that's, right. that's more kind of on the right. And then more on the left, you're going to make those folks mad because you're going to say, no, no, we're not buying into the, the politics of identity. We're like, that's not our deal. You know, so it's yeah. a it's a difficult spot to be in. But if you look out throughout the vein of history. Um, the, in hindsight's 2020, by the way, too, I think we'll look back on this time period, this cultural moment. And I think God's people are going to, I keep saying this, they're going to stand in the gap uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to, they're going to say, no, in, the, in God's kingdom, our cultural differences, our racial differences are, are all those nuances. Those, those are all secondary. And, and it's a, and that, when I say secondary, it's way behind the importance that we are unified in the truth of the gospel. And our, our church might look really strange to the world because you're not going to understand yeah. how these people who should be fundamentally opposed to one another are actually doing life together. We're not going to participate in the divisiveness and that wall of hostility. You know? That's right. Let's take one last break. But isn't that what makes it appealing? You know, there's all these different types of groups, different kinds of language, different kinds of background, uniting. You know, it's Philippians, I uh, think, chapter 1, like 27 or whatever, where it says we contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. I mean, to me, that's what makes it appealing. I mean, I learned that when my, our parents came to the Lord. They would treat someone with money or someone way down the social class line the same. with equal importance, which was always fascinating to me as a kid watching this, but then I later understood the reason they do that is because what we have in Christ allows you to view all people as valuable because they're made by God. And I think my parents do an exceptional job of that. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen my dad so many times where a guy comes in and I'm, I, I'd hear his story and I'm like, oh boy, this guy's crazy, you know? <laughs> And my dad would ask him, like, what he thought about something. Or, and I'm like, why, why is he at? <laughs> but he was, he was giving him importance because he viewed him as valuable because he was looking at him through the eyes of the Holy Spirit of God, which he is valuable. Which goes back to the story um, <clears throat> in Luke 15 where Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And I'm like, what, what are you doing eating with these people? <clears throat> and in fact, what... What we're fixed to get into with what happened to Stephen is the, is the same issue. 
on who are you associating with, who do you think you are, this is not how it works in the dividing lines that came out. I'd say probably the number one thing I hear, Chase, because every, every Sunday when we meet together, there are different people that come in. A lot of them are you guys, unashamed, you listen to the podcast. And so you want to come through West Monroe and you want to see if you can meet some of us. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But when I meet you and we talk, the number one thing I hear is that you guys treat everybody the same. They're, they're surprised. They expect well, us right. to be like, I don't know what they expect. But but the yeah. the answer I get back is you guys are just normal guys. that are just, You really do what you talk about doing yeah. on the podcast or on the show. We're like, yeah, that's who we are. I, mean, I want to say this because, you know, you're you're right. We we probably are in the middle of this fight, and people, you know, attack Christians or whatever. But I think it's because we're the the last people left that you can actually offend from the world because they don't they're not worried about hurting our feelings or whatever. That's why it's so interesting. Once we declared publicly <clears throat> that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We get all these vicious attacks. You know, we had this controversy that happened with with Phil, you know. I mean, you send a guy from GQ to interview my dad, and he starts asking all these provocative, provocative, somewhat controversial questions. And we were like, well, we were shocked that that it took this long. But I'll say this. The one thing that they didn't count on, because typically when enemies attack you, and we're fixed to see it from from Stephen, they stereotype you. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, here's a family from Louisiana. So they just concluded or deducted that we were prejudiced because we're from the South. So that we'll attack that. We'll come up with a narrative. So they started putting out these headlines. But what they failed to realize is that in our life, from the time we were really small kids, we have met at a church with all kind of ethnic Greeks represented. Mm -hmm. There are members of our family that we've adopted that, I mean, a lot of people affectionately call us the United Nations. And so all of a sudden when they started digging in, they're like, well, wait a minute here. We've come up with a stereotype and attack that could not be further from the truth, which... They don't realize why that happened, but it came from what I read in 1 Corinthians 12 that at some point in our spiritual journey, you know, we became colorblind. We we became blind to the differences of how we're viewed in the world, and it just became we're we're in Jesus. And the longer you do that, you you really don't notice the differences that the world highlights. So you don't have to tell me that we're going to have some special month to celebrate this different group. You know, in Jesus, we we tend to come together no matter what those those differences are. Yeah, but agree? I think you highlight a problem there, though, that that where the discussion has moved is they the argument. I mean, I just read um, White Fragility, and, and I've. I've been reading a lot of these books lately just to kind of get my mind around what the current debate is. And, um, and you know, the case that's being made though, is that, that like you, the way you just position that Jace, they would say that, 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 that you're, you're looking at um, racism or prejudice as being a individual thing. And so they would attack our position as saying that we are too individualistic and, um, and they're looking at things more like collectively, like this collective whole of society and so it's it's gotten kind of difficult because we do believe in the individual. We believe that the individual is made in the image of God. We do believe in the collective body too. We we call it the church. Um, and so we're we're kind of stuck in this weird place that we're kind of in between the two. But but the 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 healing though, I don't understand how you can even make a case for liberty. How you can make a case for human rights on any level, including uh, including on the level of race or gender or anything for that matter if we do not anchor it in Genesis 126. So I don't even know, to me, it's it's all meaningless anyways. If, if, if Genesis 126 isn't true in 27, that man's made in the image of God, mankind, humanity, that we're made in God's image, if that's not true, we really don't have an argument. And what scares me is that, that that's not the anchor of the current argument that's coming out of, of, of the even the church. The people that are teaching a lot, a lot of this stuff, they're not anchoring it in the Imago Dei. Um, they're not, and 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 they're 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 anchoring it in some kind of 
humanistic philosophy, Frederick Hegel, Karl Marx, or whatever, whoever you want to go back to and read. Uh, but that's what scares me. We got to get back to the ba- the basis of that man kind has made the image of God. I think that's what was happening in Acts when when this this divisions happening. That's when they implemented these guys. They, they they wanted to make sure that these women were taken care of. Yeah, I want to say this. You know, I thought about some. I was trying to be creative in ways I could reach these teenage girls, and I thought of a question. And I haven't really thought too long on this, but I was going to throw it out in in our closing moments because. I thought about asking them, how would you create a perfect world? If you were in charge of this, how, how would you go about doing that? Because I looked at it from God's perspective. Because when you think of the challenges that that presents, because really that's what we're trying to do from a political standpoint and different races and all. How, how do you create some kind of perfect harmony? And I thought, well, the challenges are, God gave us the ability to choose. So with that, that presents a challenge because we have a lot of mistakes that have been made. You have our deaths, so you only have a, a limited time frame because we're all perishable. So you're going to make a perfect world and you're real close to someone and then they die or they're murdered. We have more challenges based on choice. Then I thought about time itself. You have all the past, the present, and the future living in a in a place where bad choices are made and people are, are dying. And you probably see where I'm going with this. That's why God chose to bring Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what did he do? He lived his life to lead to a cross so that you could have a way to start over with the bad choices you made. He then overcame death so there's a way to live again. And then I thought he, he, uh, he superimposed himself through time because he's an eternal being. He's at the right hand of God. But we'll see. That doesn't mean he's asleep or detached or away because you'll see that at the end of Stephen's life. So I guess the closing statement for me is no matter what the sin, no matter what the divide, no matter what's happened, reparations were made at the cross going backwards or forward. And that's basically our proclamation. So uh, it's been great discussion today uh, from strange environments uh, from what we normally have. We're going to try to get connected back with Phil for the next podcast. Stay tuned on that. Zach, you're going to have to try to zoom in so we can finish this discussion about Stephen. We've got some really interesting stuff to talk about. So we'll see you next time on Unashamed. (laughs) 